Hey everyone, and welcome to Theonomony, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theonomony. So I have a really great episode planned for you all today. It is actually an interview with Alex Kochman from ABWE, which is a missions organization And so before that gets started, before I cut in to that interview, I just want to remind you all to like and subscribe to whatever feed you're listening to this through, whether it's CastBox or Spotify or whatever feed you use. Like, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, follow on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Instagram. I'm starting to branch into getting on LinkedIn as well because LinkedIn is great. And I hear a lot of people are really starting to get on LinkedIn now and it's becoming more than just a social media to get jobs. So go tell your friends, follow on all these different social medias, like, review, do all that great stuff to help me get this message out there. So that way we can tell as many people as possible that God's word, even as far back as the Old Testament, which we haven't unhitched, has a lot to say about the economic problems we face today. And so with that, let's jump into the interview. All right, and we are live. I am here with Alex Kochman from ABWE. So I want to start by letting him spend some time talking about what is ABWE and if you're wanting to be a missionary, why you should consider ABWE for yourself. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. So I work with ABWE. Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. ABWE is a missions agency that has existed for about 94 years, uh, founded by uh, a, a Baptist missionary in the in 1927, who was basically told by his denomination at the time to stop preaching the gospel and focus exclusively on mercy ministry. Uh, he said no to that, and out of that was born a missions agency that cares a lot about evangelism, discipleship, and church planting among 70 different countries where we serve. We have about 1,200 personnel worldwide. We have about 1,000 missionaries that we're supporting all across the world, and there's 50 countries where we have national partners as well. So there's places where we've sent missionaries in the, the traditional sense, and then there's also places where we're working through indigenous workers who are doing some hard things that a lot of Americans can't even fathom doing. And so uh, exciting to be here. Yeah, why should somebody serve with ABWE? Uh, what I love about ABWE is, is two things. One, there's that vital connection to the local church, both on the sending side uh, and the authority at the local church. We recognize we're, we're a parachurch organization. We aren't the local church. The local church is. And we look at a passage like Acts 13, and it looks like to me there that the local church is the one with the authority to send missionaries out. And so not only on that side, but then on the field side, we believe that church planting is the crux of the Great Commission. And so we're laser focused on proclaiming the gospel and on seeing healthy churches planted and grow with qualified leadership. Uh, But then beyond that as well, within 
church planting, there's a variety of skills and opportunities. So if somebody's saying, oh, I don't see myself as a church planter, I'm not a pastor, uh, I, I want to do business as mission, or I want to teach ESL, there's a lot of opportunities for that type of ministry. And what we'll do is we'll take you whatever skill you have, and we'll plug you in to be a part of a church planting team so that you can see how your skills can lead to evangelistic relationships, and then also church planting efforts with a team of people that are like-minded. That's really good. So yeah, if you want to learn more, you can go to abwe.org and you can find out more there. I didn't know you all are almost a century old now. It's, it's crazy. Um, some people have said over the years that ABWE is one of the better kept secrets and missions. I prefer that not to be the case. That's why I serve as director of communications. I want to get the word out. Uh, but yeah, there's quite a legacy here. I actually, I grew up not far from here wasn't aware of ABWE for a lot of my upbringing. And so it's been delightful to learn that it exists and how God's been working through it historically. There's a fantastic history there. You can even go into some of our articles and videos on our website. We, we started in the Philippines. And so when the Japanese years later invaded the Philippines, several of our missionaries were taken as prisoners of war. There's a, a lot of history of what God has done. And we're just standing on the shoulders of giants here, Jeremy. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. I had never heard of ABWE until a couple of years ago. Two of my friends said that they wanted to be missionaries, not through the BBFI that I grew up in and that they grew up in, but through ABWE. So that's really cool. I love the thing with the guy refusing to do mercy missions because I read a long article years ago about how you look at the mercy missionaries in the 1800s versus the gospel-centered missionaries and actually the countries are better off today that had gospel-centered missionaries 200 years ago than the ones that had mercy missionaries. I think they related a lot of it back to gospel-centered missionaries would teach them how to read so they can get a printed copy of God's word. Mm -hmm. And having a population that by and large is literate is one of the foundations of a first world nation. I think you're referring to the work of, uh, maybe, maybe you're not, but the, doc the work of Dr. Robert Wood Woodbury. Uh, Robert Woodbury would be somebody who's done some research on that topic. And from the very beginning, Raphael Thomas, our founding missionary 94 years ago, was a medical missionary. So he believed in meeting physical needs as well and acts of mercy and, and kindness and compassion expressing themselves in the context of missions. It's a false dichotomy. Uh, the problem is, is he was a part of a denomination which at the time the Northern Baptists were falling prey to the modernists uh, during the fundamentalist modernist controversies. And they basically communicated to all of their missionaries that they should stop doing conversionary missions. And what's interesting that Dr. Robert Woodbury pulls out is that those missionaries historically, from the inception of the modern missionary movement with people like William Carey up through the present, uh, those that were focused on conversionary missions are the ones that have seen the greatest fruit. And if you look at the places where conversionary missionaries have been most active since the uh, 19th century to the present, you can overlay the two maps, uh, the, the first world, as it's called, or, or maybe a, a more sensitive, better term, the developed world uh, overlays more or less completely onto those places where missionaries were active in preaching and evangelism. And it's because the gospel does change societies and does change cultures. But if you pursue the fruit, and if you're only pursuing mercy ministry at the expense of evangelism, you'll never see the tree grow. You won't get more of that fruit. But if you go to the root and if the gospel is preached, you'll get the root and the fruit as well. And so we've seen that in our uh, short time in the, in the grand scheme of eternity. Uh, and it's an incredible thing to, to witness it and have just a, a very small role in telling that story of what God's been doing. 
Yeah. You know, you look at the gospels and Jesus was healing people and preaching the gospel, but also the signs weren't the point. The signs were signposts of the message. You read in places like John 6, where he refuses to do signs because he knows they're only after the signs, not after the message. So there's not this dichotomy there. You see Jesus doing both, but using the good works to even help perpetuate the message. It's a false dichotomy. One of the things that we still do a lot throughout the world is uh, healthcare ministry. We have a lot of medical missionaries, and we do find that people that are in those situations are some of the most open to hearing the gospel. We operate several hospitals throughout the world. Every patient that comes in and out of them hears the gospel. Uh, and, and that's an incredible thing to be able to say that they're introduced uh, to the idea of the gospel through all of those conversations with our doctors, with our healthcare workers, both our missionaries and then the nationals that are employed in some of these places. In fact, some of the most fruitful evangelistic ministries that we've seen are crisis pregnancy centers that we operate in different parts of the world. Uh, people very open at that kind of crucial crossroads in their life as they're deciding what to do. Abortion is not just a U.S. problem, it's a global problem. But separating word and deed is where we've gone wrong. Not we as in APWE, but we as in Christians, evangelicals, is when we draw that false dichotomy there between them. We find that the two things go together hand in hand. The key is for it to not just end with evangelism. The key is not just that everyone who happens to be a patient in a hospital or in a rural medical clinic is hearing the gospel, but then that there's also an opportunity for them to be discipled and then brought into a local church fellowship. And that's why we remain focused on church planting primarily. Well, I love hearing that about the crisis pregnancy clinics because I work for Preborn, one of the biggest supporters of crisis pregnancy clinics in the country. And I'm actually here at the office recording this on my lunch break while I'm ah. at Preborn. So that's good to hear. Relating this back to the podcast, what are some of the ways that missions relates to economics? I know different agencies do things differently, but if ABWE does deputation, there's a lot there, figuring out how many churches need to support you, how many individuals need to support you for how much to get to how much money you need to survive in the country. It's not just pack your bags and leave. You need to find out how you can stay there and be able to eat while you're there doing ministry. So what does the economic side of being a missionary look like? Sure. There's obviously a lot that could be discussed at a macro level about economics. And I do recommend the work of Dr. Robert Woodbury for that very reason. I've already mentioned him a few times. It's very interesting to see how economically the world can be shaped by the work of missions. But specifically, how does missions relate to personal finance uh, is, is some of the question here. And your BBFI is showing, uh, talking about deputation. We would use a different term here. Historically, we've used the term deputation. Uh, but we would use the term pre-field ministry. Uh, and a part of pre-field ministry is partnership development. Uh, partnership development, you think of donor development, you know, development being the same idea. You're not fundraising. You're not trying to get as much cash into your ministry account as possible, but rather you're developing relationships. But we call it partnership development, not just donor development, because we believe that prayer support is just as important and spiritual support. Everything that comes with that relationship is as important as the financial side of that partnership relationship as well, right? So first it starts with the local church and a missionary needs to be sent out, commissioned, approved, interviewed, doctrinally compatible with and blessed by a local church that matches our core convictions uh, before they can become a missionary approved on pre-field ministry. Uh, doing their partnership development work. As they do their partnership development work and as they're raising funds, we are a faith-supported mission. 
a lot of people uh, are familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention and the fact that they operate on a cooperative model. And we think that's incredible that there's enough churches that are able to partner with one another uh, so as to be able to directly salary their missionaries. And we think that that's amazing. But what we do is a, a different model that, that can also grow an individual's faith a lot more and give that person's own sending church a lot more direct input into what the missionary is doing and, and allow there to be uh, a, a relationship there that sometimes can get lost when we're dealing with large organizations. Of course, we're a large organization as well. But so under our faith-supported model, our missionaries are raising that support. And about 50% of the average missionaries' support comes from the combination of their sending church and other supporting churches that they're able to connect with every time they're back on furlough, which is roughly once every four years, uh, they connect with those churches. And then the other 50% comes from individual donors. And there's differences on both sides. There's some individuals who get most of their support from individuals. There's others who have said in faith, hey, we're only going to talk to the church and we're not going to ask. We're just going to trust God to provide through that means that he's appointed, which is the local church. And we've seen God bless that in some powerful ways. But we have a cost of living index that our finance team works diligently with missionaries that are stationed across these 70 countries uh, to update at least quarterly so that we can keep tabs on what does housing really cost, what is a reasonable salary in each of these places of the world, and also taking into consideration family size, uh, skills, background, ministry experience, degrees held, those sorts of things that any employer would sort of take into consideration. So. Uh, the bottom line is we've seen God bless people in incredible ways as they build their faith through pre-filled ministry. We have about 120 to 140 missionaries that are currently raising support and, and developing those partnering relationships with people here stateside throughout the U.S. and Canada uh, as well. There's about 140. Uh, we coach them. We provide them with training. We help them learn how to articulate their ministry, their, their pitch, sort of, and to tell stories that invite people into partnership with them. And then we've seen God bless them and, and see them sent out onto the field uh, and grow their faith in advance of when they would go and serve. They spend about 18 to 20 months on average um, raising that support. Uh, it can be really a lot less than that. It can, it can be more depending on you know a family of five living somewhere incredibly expensive like Japan or Norway, which consistently compete for the top spot of most expensive places in the world to live all the way down to say a single individual living in the bush uh, in a context that's very underdeveloped uh, is obviously going to have a lot less overhead and a, a lot less uh, costs to deal with there. But about 18 to 24 months or, or probably 20 months is, is the average that we see, which is on pace with, if not slightly less uh, than what you would see as the, for lack of a better term, the industry average among missionary sending agencies. Yeah, I, a lot of times I've heard two to three years. So you're looking more like a year and a half to two than two to three. So that's good. And, and it's because of the coaching and, and learning how to tell your story well. One thing that we do, we want to be open-handed. It's not that we've mastered some trick here. And there are some people that take uh, a lot more time to raise their support. And, and again, there's several that take less, but one of the things that we've seen be beneficial is we refer to a partner of ours called Kingdom Come Training, uh, and that's an organization that partners with other sending agencies as well. But Kingdom Come really works directly with the missionary to figure out what is your elevator pitch? What are those stories that you can tell that will connect with people immediately? Uh, what I've seen is because a lot of the Christians that decide to become missionaries are so humble and God bless them for it, they're afraid to really self-promote at 
the risk of appearing self-aggrandizing. And what's needed often is for them to to learn how to tell those stories compellingly and not to be worried too much about self-promotion, but to be able to boldly ask people uh, and to trust God to sort out the details about whether or not people would come into partnership with them as well. Not only do they offer that training, they also offer continued coaching as someone is in that deputation time period. We've seen good results with Kingdom Come Training. We refer, I believe, all of our missionaries to that, most if not all of them. And so that's a resource that's available just outside of ABWE, not just within ABWE too. God is faithful. That's really cool. I'm a bit surprised that uh, I didn't know that deputation was such an outdated term, but I guess it's a little bit like crisis pregnancy clinic. I don't like using that term as much anymore. Right. Pregnancy Resource Center. Yeah. Yes. Crisis pregnancy clinic has the reputation of being a quote unquote fake center. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I felt that even when I used the term crisis pregnancy center earlier, I used it because that's more the colloquial term, but in the back of my mind, I'm on the board of a pregnancy resource center in the back of my mind, I could hear our executive director sort of saying to me in my subconscious pregnancy resource center. So yeah, you know, sometimes we just seek to update our language in, in ways that best reflects um, what we believe God's given us to do. Um, but uh, it's the same essential concept uh, as deputation, but it can be, a scary concept for people too. But again, we've seen the Lord bless people through it. That's really cool. I'm trying to think of other questions, but I think you really covered a lot of that stuff. So that's really cool. I like the idea of trying to not just think of getting enough cash coming from month to month to try to stay in the field, but networking, making connections, things like that with what you're doing. That is one thing I like about uh, organizations that do furloughs and like there, there are benefits to the IMB being completely salaried, but when missionaries come back periodically to do furloughs, that keeps the local churches in America remembering the missionaries and remembering what they're doing because they, from time to time, get to hear from them. And that's one of my favorite parts of not just having completely salaried missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's not necessarily a relationship between financial support from a church or from individuals and the degree to which they pray for their missionaries but there often is. When that auto draft payment comes out, that can be its own sort of prompt to pray. And by the way, we have Southern Baptist churches that give to the cooperative program. They give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. They give to Annie Armstrong. They support that and they send individual missionaries through a, a faith support mission like ABWE. So there's not a competition here so much as there is recognizing there's different models for different families and maybe there's not one size fits all, but there is, I think, a legitimate role to saying, we're going to go out in faith and we're going to trust God to provide for us. You see that in the Apostle Paul. There's times when he, quote, robs other churches, uh, but he's collecting support. He's receiving that gladly. But he's also very open-handed with his willingness to work. He worked as a tent maker in Corinth for 18 months. Uh, he, he's, he's very bold to the Thessalonian church and saying that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. So it's not that he's against work, but, uh, uh, but, but we don't also want to rob the individuals in our church families, our biological families, our faith communities. We don't want to rob them of the privilege of partnering with missionaries as they go out. That's one thing that I fear as we see that sometimes missions can become kind of a nameless, faceless parachurch ministry enterprise, is that it increases the distance between the sending church, between the rope holders and those that go, the, the feet that go, and they're, they're beautiful feet. Uh, we want to close that distance a little bit. Third John says that the way to be 
fellow workers with the truth is to support people such as these. It talks about people that have been sent out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, and that by supporting them, you can be a fellow worker for the truth. I think of what Jesus says when he sends out his disciples, that if anyone even gives them a cup of cold water in their name, they will receive a prophet's reward. That's an incredible thing. And I, I want the privilege of, of being viewed as a fellow worker for the gospel. I'm not in a position as a goer right now, uh, but I at least want to do anything that I can personally there. And so uh, we're, we're grateful that God's given us this model here. And we also think the fact that it allows for deeper connection, relationship, accountability with the sending churches. I think that's critical in this day and age where there's frankly a lot of self-sent self-commissioned missionaries without those relationships of love and care and support and accountability. And we're excited to facilitate those relationships. Yeah, that's really cool. So once again, that is abwe.org. If you want to learn more, if you're considering that you think God is calling you to be a missionary, then check them out and see, maybe you want to go with ABWE instead of uh, someone else that you may have already been considering. So not trying to steal people from other organizations for ABWE, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, ABWE.org is a good place to go. If you believe in, no, I, I want to give to the whole cause. I want to support all of the missionaries in some way. Uh, we have our answer to that model as well. The Global Gospel Fund supports all 1,000 workers in 70 countries. You can go to ABWE.org slash GGF, Global Gospel Fund. Uh, and if you want more content, just to learn more about who we are, we also have a podcast and that's missionspodcast.com. I host that every week with Scott Dunford. Uh, he's one of our mobilizers and uh, grateful to put out that resource as well and, and give back to the people of God. Yeah, that's good. So thank you for coming on, Alex. It was good to uh, talk with you. And I think I've listened to your podcast before. I've heard you when I think you were on an episode of Reform Jellical. So mm, cool yes, to hear from you again. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, enjoy talking to those guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh, you